A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it's written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Good morning. It is a delight to be back here with this community. Comfort. O oh, comfort my people, says your God. This 40th chapter of Isaiah marks a stunning change from the first part of the book. So stunning that some believe that it may have been written by another author entirely or at another time. So they call this part Deutero-Isaiah. Now, for scripture geeks, there will be a test. For scripture geeks, there's a third, or Trudeau Isaiah, that starts at chapter 56 to the end of the book. So for 39 chapters, the first part of Isaiah has warned and kind of threatened that Israel will desert God and so will be trashed by its enemies. Deutero Isaiah is addressed to a people in exile under the thumb of the Babylonians experiencing the disaster that was described before. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel kind of disaster-ridden this year. Our political leaders seem to revel in chaos when they're not actively threatening me and people that I care about. If that's not enough, let's add the hurricanes that destroyed parts of Florida and Texas and much of Puerto Rico. We experienced mass shootings in Las Vegas and, it seems, everywhere. Wildfires in wine country. Revelations of widespread sex abuse in politics and entertainment and the media, some involving people that I admired. I feel kind of like we've been taken captive to Babylon and wondering how we'll ever get back. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Our theme for this Advent is to be alert to the unexpected. Well, captive in Babylon, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> but here we are. And we're told also, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Our way out of this unexpected captivity is through the wilderness. 
And if the theme of Advent is the unexpected ways in which God shows up with us and for us, the wilderness is the context in which that happens. So my remarks today concern the wilderness and its place in scripture and how we can revel in the wilderness that's offered. So here goes. In scripture, words that can be translated as wilderness, and they sometimes come through as things like desert or wasteland, those words occur about 300 times. And over and over again, we see that the wilderness is a place of transformation, of reformation, of restoration. It's a place where people can meet God. In Genesis, we see Hagar fleeing to the wilderness with her son Ishmael, lost and scared and without hope. Hagar met God. Moses, a killer on the run, fled to the wilderness where he found a bush on fire and a voice that called him to lead Israel. Moses then led a whiny Israel out of Egypt into their 40-year wilderness journey. God fed them manna in the wilderness. It was in the wilderness that they were transformed into a people fit for the promised land. In the book of Job, we see a creation narrative set in the wilderness where God delights in animals who are important to God for their own sake, not for any human use. The story tells us about God's care for the ibis, for the mountain goat, for the lions, for the eagles, God's love for Leviathan and behemoth. And Job replies, abashed, I have spoken but didn't understand, things too marvelous for me which I didn't know, things in the wilderness. After his baptism, Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness and for 40 days is tempted, and he was among wild beasts and angels ministered to him. Now, what's interesting is that Mark doesn't make this sequential. It wasn't temptation and then wild beasts and then angels. We're only told he was tempted and he was with the wild beasts and he was with the angels. That must have been a great party. And think about our companions in this season of Advent, John the Baptist and Mary, both people of the wilderness. It's easy to see with John. We're told in today's gospel that John appeared in the wilderness and that people went out there to meet him to be baptized. Those baptized by John, including Jesus, were baptized in and into the wilderness. And John promised that the one he foretold will in turn baptize with that most wild of the members of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. John was clothed in camel hair and ate locusts and wild honey. He was kind of a Davy Crockett of his day. Locusts are a kosher food. Good to know. And they're still eaten in that part of the world, sometimes raw, sometimes roasted. Wild honey is another wilderness food, not cultivated, but found, provided by the earth. John's camel hair clothes should remind us of the prophet Elijah, who also wore camel hair, or, or who also wore animal hair, and who also was driven out into the wilderness, where he found himself in a cave, listening for a still, small 
voice. And Mary, also a wild child. At that time, in her time, being pregnant before marriage wasn't uncommon. She and Joseph were engaged, after all. But she consented to a pregnancy that Joseph wasn't part of. That's wild. When she learned she was pregnant, another gospel tells us she took off to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And apparently, she took off alone. You might wonder if she ran away. You might wonder even if her parents tossed her out of the house for being pregnant by somebody who wasn't Joseph. Over and over again, it's in the wilderness that people are transformed. And in this season of Advent, we too are called into the wilderness. It's our season with wild people in the wild places where the wild things are. This season begins the church year by inviting us back to our own original wildness. So let's return to the wilderness and let's get wild. What does that mean? I see that there are basically four kinds of transformation that happen in the wilderness. In the wilderness, we're reminded that the wild are valuable to God for their own sake. That's why God reminded Job of all the wild things that God had loved into being. Not just to scold Job, although there was a lot of that, but to show Job that God's reach includes the loving into creation of fabulous Leviathan and spectacular behemoth and soaring eagles and Job. Job's problem in that book wasn't that he complained. He had cause to complain. His problem was that he had underestimated God. God's reach is vaster than we usually give God credit for. Now, here in this time of year, we can get caught up in all kinds of hectic running around. We can be focusing on getting work done before the holiday, on getting Christmas organized, on figuring out travel. My students are scrambling to finish semester projects that they probably should have worked on in September and October. But in the wilderness, we're invited to stop and experience awe, even if for a minute. Our seasonal colors are blue and purple, the colors of the night sky, drawing our vision into the vastness of God's universe. And myself, when I feel that my image of God is beginning to feel a little cramped, I look at photos from the Hubble telescope. Is my image of God true to the God who wanders in and among the galaxies, the way the Genesis story has God strolling in the garden in the evening? Another great place to get wild for a minute is any redwood grove that God has loved into being in the vast, quiet, wild. Here in this time that can feel like the Babylonian captivity, it's good to be reminded that God loves us for our own sake. God doesn't only love the people who rule over us, but us regular folk too. And God doesn't love us for anything that we're good for, what we do, what we produce, or the gifts we buy for others. God loves us as our basic wild selves. Second, 
In the wilderness, we're reminded that the ruling virtue of the reign of God is justice, right relationship with everything and all that is. God found out in the wilderness that God had a task for him that didn't seem right for a killer with a stutter. Israel wandered into right relationship with God in 40 years in the wilderness, discovering that they could trust the God who rescued them not to let them die in the desert. In the wilderness, we learn our place, that we belong here and are cherished by God. God invites us to a preferential option for the poor and the marginalized. One wild way to practice justice and right relationship might be to start a conversation with a homeless person, to visit a stranger in jail, or even to talk to that person at the holiday dinner table that has different political opinions than you do. Right, this last one might be the hardest. (laughs) Justice means right relationship with creation, too exercising care for our fellow wild things with whom we share this wild earth. Third, in the wilderness we learn that the God who brought us here will care for us. That was what Hagar learned when she was cruelly thrown out by Abraham and Sarah. That's what Mary learned in her own wild heart. That's what John learned as he munched on honey-roasted locusts. In this wild time, let's also ponder how God has sustained us, even and maybe especially when we felt utterly at risk. With this experience of wildness comes a wild trust in God that leads people to do wild things like John and his younger cousin did when they proclaimed God's kingdom in first century Judea. Or as this community does, as you proclaim the reign of justice and peace here and outside here in 21st century San Francisco. We, as wild people, are called to do wild things out of radical trust. And fourth, it's very possible that like Jesus, like John, like Isaiah, like Moses, like Hagar, like Mary, like so many others, it's in the wilderness that we will meet God, maybe in the echoes in the redwoods, maybe in a voice that cries comfort to us even in captivity, even in despair. A voice says, proclaim. I answer, what shall I proclaim? All flesh is grass, and its loyalty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower wilts when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Yes. The the people is grass. The grass withers, yeah, the flower wilts, but the word of our God stands forever. And that care isn't merely a word that transcends our frailty, but is proclaimed in us, in the loveliness of the flowers, in the loveliness of the grass, in the loveliness of the faces around us, and in tender care for us too. Like a shepherd, He feeds the flock. He gathers the lambs. He leads the mother sheep with care. So here we are in what can feel like Babylon. The prophet has a good word for us. Comfort, 
Oh, comfort my people, says your God. The comfort we're promised in this season of Advent is wild comfort. The spiritual delights of a people called to wild places with, with wild creatures, with wild people like John and Mary. Into wild endeavors like living in and into the kingdom of God. Let's go then out into the wilderness and in into the wilderness and be wild. Face painting is optional but encouraged. <laughs> Let us pray. God, it feels like we're in the wilderness now. But help us to realize that we are not here alone, but with the brooding, protective presence of your Spirit. Help us to see the gifts of the wilderness, a wild place with wild possibilities, perfect for a wild God bringing wild goodness. Help us to trust in this goodness, even when it seems hard. For we ask this in the name of the one who cherished his time in the wilderness, even Jesus Christ. Amen.